0: Hello and welcome to YHTV's nominated show, Magical Medical Tour. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Christina Suzuma, and with me is our wonderful medical guide, Dr. Glenn Wallman.
1: Greetings, everybody. Welcome to Magical Medical Tour. I'm Dr. Glenn Wallman. I will be your medical guide today, along with Christina, as we travel through another quadrant of the healthcare galaxy each week, exploring optimal health. And today we have a very special guest, Dr. Dominique Fraden Reed, who is a specialist in preventive medicine and anti aging medicine. Should be a very interesting show today. Mm. Yeah. Christina, oh. anybody that wants to find out more about preventive medicine or anti aging, have a question for Dr. Fraden Reed? How would they get in touch with us?
0: So at any time during this show, you can feel free to ask a question or make a comment simply by scrolling down on your screen and typing it into the comment box. We will be sure to um, share that with our guests or Dr. Woolman. Or if you're listening to this through a podcast and um, you're not in front of your computer, just give us a call at 818-LET'S-TALK. 818-LET'S-TALK. Be sure to leave your contact information so that we can get back to you, do uh, the answers that you need. Thank you, Glenn.
1: Oh, you're welcome, Christina. And uh, I look forward to uh, entertaining our guest today, Dominique Freyden Reed, who, as I said, is a specialist in preventive and anti aging medicine. She's also into regenerative and functional medicine and mm-hmm. lifestyle medicine. We're going to, these are all the things that we hear a lot of buzzwords about these days. But today we're going to find out um, exactly what this is all about. And whether this is what we should be doing for our health. So, without further ado, I would like to introduce our guest, Dr. Dominique Freyden Reed. Good morning. Bonjour.
2: Bonjour, Glenn. Bonjour, Christina. Bonjour. Bonjour. Hi, everyone. (laughs) I'm happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me.
1: Uh, Quite welcome. Listen, before we even start, we're trying to, we know we're an international, intergalactic type of program and people all around the world are watching and we're trying to eventually have uh, these shows in other languages. So to take advantage of you, would you mind uh, welcoming everyone to Magical Medical Tour that speaks uh, French?
2: Absolument. Bienvenue sur Magical Tour. Vous allez découvrir beaucoup de choses aujourd'hui. J'espère que nous répondrons à vos questions et nous sommes ravis de vous avoir parmi nous. Merci Gled. merci Christina. Uh,
1: merci.
0: Oh, merci. That sounds so beautiful. <laughs> we're getting closer to my vision, which is good. to have our shows in all different languages.
1: That's why I did that for you, Christine. Thank I you. know that you want to come close to that vision. <laughs> so as the medical guide, Dominique, I like to tell our viewers where we're probably going to go. We have so much to talk about today. I don't want to spend too much time on my part and get more to yours. But first, we want to find out a little bit about you and why you got interested in medicine, when did it happen, and then maybe a little bit about your path going into internal medicine and then uh, getting into anti-aging and preventive medicine. We want to find out what this is all about, and then maybe we'll talk about some specific areas and how you treat people differently than others, of course. Does that sound all right to you? Sounds perfect. Perfect. So. Let's begin. What got you interested in medicine? When did it happen? How did it happen? And where were you?
2: Well, I'm going to tell you before being interested in medicine, I got interested in good health, Uh, much more than medicine. You know, I was young. I was raised in a family that was very health conscious. And in France, we have those proverbs that tell you how you should behave in life. So at a very young age, I think I was six or seven, I heard my parents tell me, La santé commence dans l'assiette. Your health starts in your plate, or mm. such like. The opposite. You dig your grave with your fork. <laughs> <That's Terrible. laughs> <laughs> so, I like that already. As you, you see, you know, very young, I knew what I had to eat. And then my grandmother, who lived a very good life, very healthy until the age of 96, used to live in Vichy. Vichy <laughs> is a city that is well known for things that happened during World War Two, but you might know also that it's a place where we have hot spring waters. Mm-hmm. And in France, we have that tradition, you know, from the old days, from Imperatrice Eugénie. Uh, she was married with Napoleon III, the third, Napoleon third, and while her husband was fighting the war to conquer Europe, she was taking her bath and enjoying life and rejuvenating her body. And thanks to her, we had that tradition that you need to take three weeks of your life in France to go to the waters and rejuvenate your health. And it's even covered by the health insurance. So I saw my grandmother going to those baths and being treated three weeks per year. And I would go with her and I would have to drink that horrible sulfuric water that was supposed to detox my (laughs) body. (laughs) So to make it short, um, you know, very young, I thought, well, that's good. You can stay healthy just by sticking to nature and enjoying those good things that are provided by nutrition, good nutrition, good sleep. We would go for uh, a little walk before going to sleep, you know, the Mm. health work at nighttime. Then later in life, I decided, okay, I want to practice the kind of medicine that those physicians practice in such places where you have the hot spring waters. And I went into medical school. Medical school was great. I love learning. I love studying. I love education. That's why... I love educating my patients too. And mm-hmm. suddenly I was really, really disappointed. When I finished internal medicine, which was the way to go when you have good grades and you know you are a good student, you go into internal medicine. So here I am. I am internal medicine specialist and I'm not helping my patients. I was trying my best and I had all these patients when I was in rotation in the south of Belgium at that point that were Unemployed miners, and they were drinking, they were smoking, they had silicosis, and I was spending my time poking their belly to get the water that builds up in uh, their belly because they have problems with their liver. And I was thinking, there's something that needs to be done ahead of the time. You know, it's too late. I can't help them. They are dying from cancer. So I decided maybe there's something else. Then I decided to go back to France. I'm French originally. And finished two years of residency in preventive medicine in order to be able to practice the kind of medicine that I practice now to help my patients stay healthy.
1: You know, that was very interesting, Dominique. In fact, I thought that would be a great health tip for everyone. Everyone should go to France for three weeks and go to a spa.
0: I can give you the addresses but, i mean i mean the the most amazing thing for me is is the health insurance over there covered
2: it totally you they realized they, they they save money at the end of the, the year because people will go to work they won't have indemnity to pay for you know um, people who don't work and less medications mm.
1: uh Dominique, I want to ask you, you experienced medicine originally in europe and then eventually you made your way to the united states so i look at a coin and people always talk about a coin as having two sides but i always think it has three because there's an edge Mm -hmm. and i and i look at let's say european medicine is on one side of the coin american united states medicine is on possibly another and you are on an edge You know, you see both practices, you learned from one, you came to this country, you practice another. What kind of view do you have of the big picture of medicine as different practices? Are there differences in the practices? What can we learn from the European style? What can they learn from our style or is it all the same?
2: Well, I think that there are good things on both sides. Yeah? And that's what I'm trying to offer to my patients. I combine my previous learning and what I learned in the U.S. when I had to redo my residency because I had to go back for a full residency here. You know, So uh, technology is certainly more advanced in the U.S., which mm-hmm. is always a great thing you know, when you want to talk about modern medicine. I think in terms of how we approach the patient In Europe, we might be a little bit more close to what I call human behaviors. That means each patient is a person, not a case. My Mm. dear patient, you know, there are physicians in the U.S. that really do care. And I I totally agree that on both sides, there are really good physicians, you know. But I think we put a tiny bit more of personal investment. You know, we go visit patients in their home. We still have visits at home in France, as an example. And a, a very important thing is the bedside manner. We were really taught uh, how to approach the patients. We had specific teaching, which I didn't get here in the U.S. Yeah. When we also do the evaluation, you know, the first time a patient comes to see me, we always uh, ask in France, tell me your story. Start. You were born healthy. Something happened in your life. So go ahead and tell me your story. Here, patients come to you. And I was taught in San Francisco during my UCSF residency, chief complaint, why are you coming today? Headache. Okay, I need to track your headache. What I like with preventive medicine and anti-aging, it's that group of physicians in the U.S. that has gone back to the healing uh, element that maybe modern medicine sometimes forgets a little bit in the U.S., but I do respect all my colleagues here in the U.S. because they are good doctors, maybe they haven't been taught uh, the part of human touch that we have in Europe. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about preventive medicine. Uh,
1: what it, what does that mean? We hear that all the time, and most of us think about preventive medicine means getting vaccines uh, to prevent polio or to prevent a whooping cough or measles and mumps. Tell us what preventive medicine really means.
2: Great. And again, you no know, preventive medicine, the way we describe it in Europe, uh, goes to the, the word prevention. How we can we prevent health events that are going to be detrimental for your future? Let's avoid disease. Let's avoid anything, toxicities, pollutants that could destroy your integrity. We, we, we know that term in medicine, homeostasis. It's a mm. complicated word, okay, but that means balance when everything functions optimally and prevention aims at avoiding to go towards the disease status we want to to act ahead of the time you know for example if someone comes with some digestive issues and they, they are bloated they, 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 they don't feel good they might have constipation a regular doctor might say, you know, oh, your organs are good, you know, there's nothing, everything is good, you know, just take a little bit of bismuth or uh, tums and you'll be fine. Well, mm-hmm. preventive medicines goes a bit further, says, why? There, there's something that's not right. You know, we, we ask the why questions and we try to find the risk factors and what can down the road bring that person to having much more issues. Why not colon cancer down the road, you know? So prevention is detecting disease at the very early stage or even at the functional stage and using everything we have, starting with lifestyle medicine, uh, supplements. We'll talk about that in a minute to to keep people as healthy as possible.
1: Lifestyle medicine is something that we hear a lot about and I talk a lot about on our shows. Uh, We look at things like nutrition and exercise, stress management, sleep management, spirituality patterns of behavior. What do you look at when you're talking about lifestyle medicine?
2: I love that question, Glenn. I love that question because I don't know, maybe it's important to mention that Loma Linda, where I finished my residency in preventive medicine, is now offering for young physicians a program that combines both internal medicine and lifestyle medicine. And the American College of Preventive Medicine, our entity that governs us, is now launching a big, big study survey about lifestyle medicine in the current practice of physicians. So what does that mean? When a patient comes to me, there will always be 15 to 20 minutes spent on what do you eat? How do you sleep? Tell me a day of your life. You wake up in the morning, what do you have for breakfast? You have cereals, cereals and sugar added on it and no worry you're going to be tired in one and a half okay <laughs> you need you need to have proteins in the morning and i try to explain to them why so my practice lifestyle, lifestyle medicine sorry at lifespan medicine where i practice right now always starts with the five pillars of uh, good health you know when i say five pillars as you mentioned nutrition exercise sleep stress management, and you added spirituality, that's so on. But we also talk about light. Being exposed to sunlight is a very important part of lifestyle and not being inside and behind the computer. So again, you know, I'm turning a bit in circle here, but start with the basics. We were born to eat healthy food, to sleep and go to bed early and wake up with the, when the earth wakes up. So... Go back to the circadian rhythm that keeps us healthy.
1: Uh, Interesting. We uh, did a talk on sleep the other day and we were speaking about light. So that's a very interesting uh, concept for me. When you see a client or a patient and you start talking to them about lifestyle medicine, one of the things that I do as a medical guide is... I look at patterns of behavior and what are the problems in the lifestyle that we need to look at and change? What are the ones that are good that we should keep? When you see one of your patients where you recognize that their eating habits are not correct or their sleeping habits are not correct, how do you work with them to change a pattern of behavior to, to get them to understand that this is important before it becomes a disease? It seems to me like most of the people at least in this country, wait for something really bad to happen and then want to go to the doctor and see if you can reverse it for them. You, as a preventive uh, specialist, want to change that, and it's it seems like it would be harder to change it for someone who doesn't have
2: something yet. How do you work with someone like that? Well, that's a very good question. And the first step, I think, is education. Knowledge is power, as you know. So when a, when a patient understands why, if you don't sleep well at night, and you probably talked about that last time, but you are not going to have your hormones at a good place, your cortisol, your testosterone. So if you have low energy during the day and you understand that helping with sleep might be a way to go, why not try? So I tend to encourage patient, patients to take baby steps. You no, know, we have a different model of changes that we can use to help patients change behavior. Mm. Uh, I, I studied all these models of care when I was in public health, um, in, when I did my master in public health. And you try to find what are the barriers, what stops you from eating correctly. I need my chocolate at night. I'm okay, keep your chocolate, but give up maybe the bread in the in the morning. Okay, so baby steps, encouragement. And telling them, don't be afraid. You're not going to be 100% good the first day. You know, you have to, to be happy with your progress. And then little by little, and I'm telling you, one of uh, uh, the things that I have seen, when patients feel better, if they try, they continue on the good path. You know, they don't want to go back to being tired. So that's the way to go. And, and some are very successful, uh, some a little bit less. But I think I have also um, a population of very dear patients who want to, to work on their health. They recognize now that, uh, you know, they, we are going to live 100 years. Do you want to live in a wheelchair 40 years of your life, or mm. do you want to, to stay healthy?
1: Oh, that's good. I like that baby steps. So I always talk about the 80-20 rule. Start out at about 80%. You start feeling better, then you'll go up to 85 maybe 90 Maybe never get to a hundred, but at least it's uh, on the path. Path. Yeah. That's true. I'm I'm curious. In in Western medicine, we're always looking for uh, double-blind, placebo-controlled, uh, meta-analysis, prospective, crossover-type studies to prove something. Are there studies now in preventive medicine that actually show that there
2: is a difference? There are some. Much less, okay, for for several reasons. You know, as it is true that preventive medicine was probably more developed in European countries. It's coming really, really fast in the US. I'm telling you, and Americans are usually good at doubling us when they are engaged in in the, in the pathway. So, I believe in the next few years you'll be better than than the French. Yeah, will be better. I'm I'm half American. Boy, would but you say I'm, that again? We don't hear, we don't hear that very often. No, that's true. You know, once you get conscious, when Americans get conscious that there is a problem, you go to radical solution. So we're going to make progress with with preventive medicine. I'm really confident. And when I see all the movement that is coming on around us um, at Loma Linda in particular, you know, I can't talk today about that, but a lot of things are moving around. So um, to, to come back to your question, which was, by the way, (laughs) What was your question, Glenn? The
1: study. It was, are there any studies coming out that that actually prove that preventive medicine changes something?
2: So what what I wanted to to say is that a lot of these studies are written in foreign language, Mm -hmm. either German, French. So we had some studies, you know, I had studies uh, 15, 20 years ago in French and in the English language, not as many, but Mm -hmm. it's coming. It's really coming. So sometimes it's hard to do double blind uh, studies when it's behavior change. You know, you do interventional studies, a group of patients that does something, the other group doesn't do it, and you see, but it's not double blinded, but it's still interventional studies that can be helpful. And the science is behind. No, when I prescribe, for example, supplements to some patients, Mm -hmm. it's always supported by at least two. Studies that have been published in peer review uh, journals. That's the way we practice at the uh, Academy for Anti Aging Medicine. We do not prescribe supplements if we don't have a base for prescribing them. I want to, you mentioned anti aging,
1: and I want to talk about that. And I don't know if we need to talk about that first before we then look at the whole picture. But before that, I want to stay in preventive medicine for for a moment. There are many diseases that we know that people are are potentially prone to get based on the lifestyles that they have hypertension uh, type two diabetes, et cetera. <clears throat> do you talk to your patients about that, and what do you do to help prevent those kind of things from happening to a person
2: well that 's a very good question and and what I would like to mention, Glenn is that there are different levels of prevention. Primary prevention that we talked so far about is for people who are still healthy and have not yet developed any disease. But among my patients, I have a lot of patients who already have those uh, hypertension you know, risk factors to have heart attack, cholesterol, diabetes. So they are in secondary prevention at that mm. point. You know, and I'm, I'm still going to be able to optimize their health at a different level than the one that comes totally healthy. But everyone can do prevention. I have cancer patients that come to me because they got their treatment with traditional standard of care medicine. They -hmm. come to me and now they say, put me back to my optimal health. And with preventive medicine, we can do that. We can help them. So prevention. Sorry. No, I'm sorry. Continue, please. So prevention in, in case of, you know, patients who, who do not have hypertension, cholesterol, it's just telling them, you know, if you continue having these 20, 30, 50 pounds of weight around your midsection, mm-hmm. you are going to be more prone. And I sometimes take the example of, you know, a recent famous actor who died from a heart attack. um, uh, He was a big star. I won't name him, but I think everybody knows who I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And he didn't die, I think he didn't die from a heart attack. He died from obesity. Mm. So I tried to, to to, to stimulate the need to really work ahead of the disease for those healthy patients. Those who already have high blood pressure, cholesterol, they have enough to have a list of medications. And most of the time they say, is there a way I could change my nutrition or, or, or do something to, to help myself and maybe reduce my medical um, cabinet?
1: Yeah, Does that happen a lot? Do you have a lot of success with that, being able to take people either to lower doses and less side effects or to actually get people off a medication?
2: Well, I, I'm very humble. So I'm, I'm going to say uh, it all depends on the patient. But I have, we are a good team. You know, I always work with my patients as a team, and I'm to help them, I fix their biochemistry, but we have good success i have to to be honest that might be the difference between an internal medicine specialist that is great at treating acute situation when we talk about chronic disease, we need more time. I spent uh, one hour to half an hour with each patient mm-hmm. I call them you know they, they email me all the time I'm, I'm in constant follow up with them so I have to admit we have good results. I have one of my dear patients who sent me for Christmas the picture, you know, like at the Biggest Loser. She had the dress from before, uh, and the way she she's lost 50 pounds. She let her, her medication for cholesterol go, and I think we were able to drop one or two of her blood pressure medications. She was on three medications. Wow. So there is hope. There is certainly hope. You know, I really, I am an optimistic by nature, but it's real. It's just real. If you want, you can.
0: So I I have a question which which baffles me quite a lot because I, of course, having this show, I believe very much on preventative medicine. Um, What about the individuals like the the elderly who are in their, you know, late 70s, 80s, What I've encountered with a lot of these individuals is they are on what the medical world would call preventative medication. So they're on blood thinners, aspirin, cholesterol medication, yet they really don't have the issue. Like they don't have high blood pressure. They don't have cholesterol issues when they're tested. But this is to prevent them from getting it. I mean... Uh, for me, it, it's quite imbalanced as I see the bruising on their bodies and, you know, you, you can't touch them because you're scared to break the skin. And, uh, you know, I uh, what are the thoughts on that?
2: Well, it's a very good point, now I'm, I'm happy you brought it because I have quite a few patients, 70, 80. I had even a 90. I have a 92 year old, maybe it or not. Bravo. And. Well, she's she's phenomenal. And uh, basically, you know, when I first meet them, I go to the basics. I say, okay, let's start with nutrition. Most of these patients, they often lack proteins. They are not really uh, fantastically nourished, I should say. I'm not going to say malnourished, but their nutrition is not optimal. So I do not touch the medications right away. I usually start, you know, very slowly with the family sometimes. Then we go one by one and we look at the medications we could maybe stop or decrease. Uh, I did that with my parents. Both my parents are turning 86 and they were both on cholesterol medications and they had side effects and their cholesterol was brought to a ridiculous number of 140 you know, even in France you have doctors that do that And i said this is not going to be useful you know uh, they have side effects my dad couldn't go in his garden and garden anymore he had pain in his legs his muscles i said stop your statin stop your uh, cholesterol medication i won't do that with everyone but his cholesterol went up to 220 and he has good ones so who cares? Excuse me for saying that, but mm. <laughs> for me, I prefer to see him with his tomatoes and enjoying life than staying watching TV and not being active. I think it's, it's better for his health. Mm-hmm. So uh, I totally agree with you. There is too much prescription made in this country uh, and abroad, you know, everywhere. It's the easy way. Uh, for example, Xanax. You're anxious to take Xanax. I spend my time taking patients off Xanax. I give them L-theanine. nice sleep supplements are going to go and help their GABA receptors calm them down. I work with a nice acupuncturist, and I had great success. Success, sorry, uh, stopping Xanax on such patients.
0: Mm, wonderful, thank you.
2: Let's talk about That's- one preventive
1: medicine for a moment, and then I want to get into anti-aging. We have the flu here a lot. A lot of people get upper respiratory infections, and it's almost really difficult to uh, avoid that. When you get exposed to someone or you know of a patient that gets exposed to someone with an upper respiratory virus, do you use your preventive medicine to either prevent it or to make it less of a a possibility of the length of time that someone's going to be sick? And what do you do for just a simple viral infection? I say simple, but we know it's not.
2: Well, this is a great question you You ask really the, the the good question here because one big factor of aging is inflammation, so inflammation is the enemy. you know I always try to pass on to my patients a few quick sentences that mock them. If you feel under the weather and you are feeling that the virus could threaten you don 't wait don 't get it. Uh, work ahead of the game, so all my patients are educated. They have supplements that have proven to really enhance the immune system. I could give you a list if you'd like. But more than that, I truly believe that a high dose of IV vitamin C is a fantastic way to to stop any infections at the very beginning. I do that on myself all the time. I've not been sick since 2006 for the wedding of my sister, unfortunately, (laughs) but because each time I... That that was unfortunate, but I have been in good health because each time I feel a little bit underneath the weather, I immediately start my little supplements, and I ask my nurse to give me an IV with high dose of vitamin C.
1: Intravenous is IV.
2: Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, Intravenous. that's all right. That's my job. Thank you. And uh, the second thing, you know, for example, um, vitamin D. I tell my patients keep your vitamin d at a good level it's the guardian of your immune system we have a lot of studies that show that there is a direct correlation between low vitamin d and chronic respiratory infections cancer even cardiovascular disease autoimmune disease so the battle of keeping the vitamin d at a good level is really an important one
1: oh, i like that let's talk about anti-aging right now i'm I'm assuming that you're not promising that everyone is going to be immortal. Although once you do this show, you become immortalized because you're in virtual reality forever. (laughs) But but in anti-aging, what are we actually talking about? Are we talking about preventing anyone from aging? Everyone is going to remain at 25 or 40 or whatever time they go to see you. They're not going to die, or they're only going to die of, a, of an accident of something like that. What does anti-aging
2: promise us? Good. So anti-aging first, it's a bit of a pompous word. You know, I I, I like to really modulate what we're saying here. Everybody's mm-hmm. going to to add more years to to their age next year for sure. But when you look at some people, have you heard someone tell you, you look 10 years younger than you are? So I would I hear that all the time. I can tell you, you're right. <laughs> you deserve it. <laughs> so basically, what I, I would encourage our audience is to look at these um, the blue zone. I don't know if you've heard about the five blue zones uh, in the world. This is fascinating. These are places where you have more centenarians than everywhere else in the world. And those people are healthy centenarians. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, Loma Linda is one of those places here in California, a few kilometers from Los Angeles, a few miles from here. I didn't know So, that. Yeah. And when I did my residency, I remember seeing that nice little lady in pink uh, shorts doing her walk every morning and running. And, and I heard she was 102 recently so unfortunately she passed since then you know uh, it was like six years ago but basically let's have a look at what these people do to stay healthy so we know that there are some factors of aging and you mentioned inflammation you mentioned disease you know having a virus or what mm-hmm. let's pro- let's protect us against inflammation let's not be sick try to do everything we can to that. Second, there are products that we build in our system as we get older because our metabolism is slowing down. Such For for example, what we call the AGE. The funny thing is that it's age, and it's the advanced glycolated end products. What does that mean? Our proteins, you know, our body is made out of proteins, mostly our collagen, our bones, and those proteins they are now glycolated. They have sugar that sticks to the protein, and that protein is not healthy and ages uh, much more quickly. So let's try to avoid those chemistry to happen. And how can we do that? It's less sugar, and there are other options that we can think about. And finally, aging starts at the level of the chromosomes. And we are now aware that beside the genes that we have inherited from our parents, and in the past we used to say, you have good genes, you have bad genes, now we have what we call epigenetics. You've probably heard about that, okay? So that means that our genes, even if you have the good one, if we do not take care of them, if we do not have healthy lifestyle, we are going to kill those little protectors that are on the chromosome, what we call the chromatin, we won't have a protection of those genes, and they are not going to work as good as they used to. So anti-aging is working at different levels. Also, hormone decline. As we get older, uh, men are going to have their testosterone go down, women, their uh, estrogen, progesterone. And those hormones are essential to regenerate our cells. So we are lacking an essential element for youth and good health. So giving hormones at a reasonable level is part of the anti-aging medicine.
1: Do you think that, that that was a great answer. Do you think that uh, this is appropriate in the sense that our bodies are designed to live for a certain amount of time and nothing is permanent, we're eventually going to die, when we start changing this and we start looking at the epigenetics or the other portions of the the gene structure and the telomeres and a number of other things like that are we going against nature does nature want us to have all of these hormones at high levels that we had when we were 25 the same as when we're 85 or should there be a natural decline what's what's your thinking on that
2: Well, that's a very good question, too, because I personally never put the hormones of a 70-year-old at the level of a 25 then, you know. I stay on the very safe side. We are physicians first, do no harm. You know, there are physicians that really want to restore uh, the level of hormones that we had when we were really young. I don't think that this is reasonable because you're going to have higher risk of developing cancer. You know, breast cancer is always an issue. So mm-hmm. let's stay reasonable in what we are doing. But giving a little kick with a little bit of estrogen to have a good memory until you die, whatever the age, and being uh, very uh, active because you need to have good muscle mass because you have a bit of testosterone. Isn't it better than, again, forgetting everything? And because it doesn't change that much the lifespan, It changes more the quality of the years. I don't think that. Yeah, please. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I don't think that hormones will prolong the lifespan, maybe a little bit, but it's going to make those years so much more uh, health, so much healthier, so much happier, so much younger. You know, you will have your vitality.
1: So anti-aging is is not really the word we. We need to look for something maybe more accurate.
2: Totally, um, um, like preventive aging. You know, maybe a little bit of prevention. Uh, I'm not sure. We we need to to bring some of that. Yeah, uh, maybe happy aging. Yes, healthy uh, aging for sure. I like that. Yeah. So you've
1: you've mentioned hormones uh, a few times now, and I think w- we need to talk about hormones related to the endocrine system and maybe even. Uh, And talk about hormones related to weight uh, management because weight management is a big problem right now in our society. But when I speak with doctors and I watch physicians uh, work with people with hormonal problems, and and I'm thinking now, you know, we talk about estrogen and testosterone and progesterone, but there's also things like the thyroid and cortisol. All of these are hormones. And when I see physicians, working with people that have a problem, they're looking many times at the lab results and looking at a measurement, a range. And if someone falls into the range, then they're healthy. And if they fall out of the range, then they're not healthy and they need a medication, a hormone. And usually that hormone is given like prescription. Sometimes the same person who is a hundred pounds versus 175 pounds may get that same hormones so when you're working with people and you're looking at hormones are you looking at laboratory levels or do you combine that with their actual symptoms and signs and their feelings at that time very good question again
2: so i always tell my patients i don't treat your labs i treat you i treat patients but labs help me Helps Mm -hmm. help me for sure okay okay let's So for one second on what you mentioned about weight management, you know, weight management uh, is one of my passion and one of my favorite topics, because I think we do not really understand exactly what happens for these poor patients. They go to see their doctor and they want to lose weight and the patient say, diet and exercise. Well, when they come to see me, I tell them, I mean, to tell you, I do not believe in diet and exercise for weight management only. It will come after I, Dominic Reed, fix your biochemistry. Your biochemistry is not working. And if you tell me, I don't eat much, doctor, and I exercise five times a week. I go to the gym, I have my personal trainer. I say, I believe you, because your hormones are not at the right place. Okay. So insulin resistance is frequently found in such patients. These are patients that have been under stress for years and years. They had high cortisol. Cortisol raises, competes with insulin. You need more insulin to use your sugar. I make it that very short. You know, I explain that in more detail usually. But they are all coming with an hemoglobin A1c, that means the sugar over the past three months, above the normal range. And they can't lose weight because they can't use their sugar. There is a resistance at the level of the cells to use what they eat. And if now they have, again, cereals for breakfast, the whole packet of cereals goes to their belly and they're not going to be able to lose. So we need to reverse that insulin resistance. And it's part of my job to find either supplements or medication sometimes. And then they start losing weight with diet and exercise. So hormones are a very important part of what I'm doing for sure on an everyday basis.
1: And you're talking about
2: hormones
1: uh, that might be for the thyroid, for the cortisol, for the progesterone, for the estrogen, for the testosterone. What other hormones do you look
2: at? Well, that's that's basically all there. You 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 talk about all of them. You know the the sex hormone for sure. Uh, mm-hmm. Men who. For example, you know, I have a lot of men, they come, they're 60, and they have started to put weight on, you know, uh, they have less energy, they can't sleep at night, sexual drive is down, libido. They come to see me, and you realize that, unfortunately, their testosterone is down. And more than that, they are putting everything in estrogen now, because there's a direct uh, enzyme in their liver that takes the testosterone and flushes it in estrogen, female hormones. So that's normal. Every man should have a little bit of estrogen, but too much is not only uh, a burden for that poor guy that wants to exercise and cannot lose weight, but it could be harmful in terms of cardiac cardiovascular risk, too. So we are going to work at uh, enhancing the testosterone level in different ways, and we're going to block... That enzyme, you know, with uh, estrogen blockers, to make sure that nothing goes in the test in the estrogen world.
1: We, you know, we watch television now and we see uh, commercials for men having low T—that we're calling it, right? Mm -hmm. Low testosterone, and they're promoting taking all sorts of testosterones and problems like and medications like that. But then we're starting to see potential for people that are taking these uh, medications to start developing uh, prostate cancer or other types of cancers
2: so where where is the balance well first of all we need to first demonstrate that there is a need for testosterone. The big problem here um, in Hollywood is that everybody wants to put muscle mass on. So you have these 45 years old, they come to you, they want testosterone. I'm sorry, I do not give testosterone to someone who doesn't need testosterone, okay? If a man a little bit older has decreased his own production, then it becomes legitimate to substitute again at a correct level, what is missing. But first, you assess what are the risks. Did your dad have prostate cancer? Do you have brothers that have prostate cancer? Yourself, have you had a prostate evaluation? And of course, patients then have to come every three months to have some tests done. You know, that's where the labs really help to make sure that if you give them a correct dose of testosterone, you're not going to see their PSA Go suddenly very high, that would mean oops, the prostate is a bit reacting and might be a good uh, way to think, let's stop it or let's decrease it. So mm-hmm. you, you, mo- you monitor, no, monitoring is the key. Uh, each patient that is on hormone therapy with me uh, needs to do labs on a regular basis. They don't need to come back to me. Do I call them? We do telephone follow ups, mm-hmm. but I don't. I don't leave a patient in nature with their prescription without seeing what's going on.
1: So it's really important. Uh, I think one of the messages here uh, is that you really, if you're going to do some of these types of changes, you should work with someone who has an understanding of aging and, and lifestyle medicine and preventive medicine. Can you get to a point? I know that you also talk about functional and regenerative medicine. What does that mean?
2: Okay, so functional is, as it says, treating the function. We don't wait until the organ is damaged. We act ahead of the game. That means, you know, you have, let's say, digestive issues. I'm taking that example because it's an easy one. You go to a gastroenterologist, they scope you. They say your gastric lining is good. You don't have ulcers. Okay, you're constipated. Take a little bit of, you know, laxative or whatever. And they don't really worry. For me, someone who has digestive issues is someone extremely important that I need to uh, treat as best as possible and quickly because that poor person might have had already chronic inflammation in their abdomen that caused those symptoms without being able to objectivate that uh, with the eyes. You know, the function is not there. So mm-hmm. I am mean to to ask the main question why did you develop that? Did you have a lot of antibiotherapy? Because maybe your probiotics, your good flora is imbalance now. Uh, did you travel? You know, I had a patient recently. She said, I, I went to Thailand last year, and since, since then I've not been good. And I went to the gastro, and everything is, is normal. No, it's not normal. She goes to the bathroom four times a day, this poor girl, okay? And she has bloating. And so we are going to do a full stool test on which will go further than just assessing is there a bacteria, yeast it will look at the enzymes how much of pancreatic enzyme is she producing Mm -hmm. how many good bacteria these are the functional tests that we can do And functional medicine addresses the function looking at the cause, the triggers and restoring a good function even if the organ is not damaged,
1: Do you, we're to, we're starting to talk more. That's great. I I like that. Uh, we're starting to talk more about the neuro-emotional and energetic processes that happen when we, in medicine, look for a root cause analysis. Usually, we're looking for something that we can see in the lab or under a microscope, something that we can remove by surgery or a laser. Or something that we can change with chemotherapy. Do you look at things from any other alternative or integrative point of view uh, in terms of, say, neuro or energy bodies, anything
2: like that? Well, it's an everyday practice, Glenn. You know, I, I think that if I had to put a number, 80% of my patients have in part an emotional cause to their symptoms, a neuro-emotional cause. Mm-hmm. Whether it's stress, whether it's known or not known, but a lot of my patients, you know, are anxious. Everybody, uh, you know, when you see the world, we, we don't have physiological lives anymore. You know? we, we are not made to wake up at five o'clock, run on the freeway, stay two hours blocked to get to work <laughs> and... Finish at six and back to home, you know. So uh, I most of my patients, I tell them, imagine yourself in Italy, Sicily, raising your ships in the mountains, and how would you feel? And mm. suddenly they feel better. Mm-hmm. So uh, a neuro-emotional part is there for every one of us, you know, and that will be one of the things I'd like to pass on to my patients. Be careful of stress. You know, stress is a killer that we are not aware of. We should be watching it at every minute. And it can cause emotional uh, disturbances that can be dramatic for the body. I had recently another patient, believe it or not, who fainted in the elevator. It was a nightmare. We had to call 911. It's rare that it happens. Because he was coming for digestive issues. And in fact, he had panic attacks. And this poor guy had been to three hospitals. They had done colonoscopy, everything. Three hospitals in two weeks. It's a real story. And he yeah. came to see me, and, and I told him, you know, I think Lexapro, you know, sometimes I give antidepressant medication, in his case, that was necessary, and some supplements to relax you, and maybe a little Xanax. In his case, I had to go this way, a little bit more traditional medicine, because I think you have terrible panic attacks. He goes with the prescription to go to the pharmacy, he fenced in the elevator. Mm-hmm. I talked to him last week. He called me and he said, I am so much better. I've put 15 pounds back on. My intestine is totally calm, quiet. The only chief complaint he had was, I vomit, I have diarrhea, and my intestine is not in place. So that was purely emotional and mental. Mm. And another thing I want to tell you: um, neurons speak to hormones. It's a lot of infertility patients. They can't get pregnant. These poor women. They come to see me because they have so much stress. They are so so much in chaos, you know, in their emotional uh, status. Let's work on that first, you know. And I work with a fertility doctor who refers me those nice patients to help them find their balance before they start the fertility treatment.
1: Ah, very nice. Do you uh, you obviously look at integrative medicine and lifestyle medicine? Do you work with other uh types of healers like traditional Asian medicine, acupuncturists, uh Ayurvedic healers, chiropractors, homeopathic doctors, naturopaths? a number of others do you work with them do you incorporate any of their uh healing methods in your practice i know you use I, supplements and things like that
2: i i love uh, i have a team uh, of very nice people uh, one of them you know m- my favorite dr choi uh, she's a chinese lady i call her magic hands <laughs> she gets my patients under her needles And, for example, we had that case of a young lady, uh, extremely stressed out, that had been on antidepressant and uh, Xanax for years and wanted to stop that. And with the help of Dr. Choi and myself, uh, she's out of everything, Melissa. And she's now, she's getting married. So, uh, you see, life of patients get better in all directions. And so, sure, acupuncture, I love it. I took classes in France in homeopathy myself, but I'm I'm humble enough to, to recognize I do not practice homeopathy because I, I don't do that often enough. So I refer to homeopathic doctors for sure. Mm-hmm. I refer to chiropractors all the time. Uh, we have a nutritionist that works with me here at Life Spine Medicine. I have other nutritionists. They refer me their patients when they need uh, that little biochemistry push that I was talking about when right. nutrition is, is not enough. You know, I, I have a wonderful team of people who, who like to work with me and I like to work with them. So yes, we, we are a multidisciplinary uh, team to help our patients.
1: I love hearing that. We're speaking with Dominique Fraden-Reed, a specialist and board certified in preventive and anti-aging medicine. We're coming near the end of the show and I would love to hear some health tips from you.
2: So that was hard because I had several, uh, Glenn, but I'm going to give you two today. Excellent. One is, one is very practical and easy. Eat proteins at breakfast. The day I started that, it saved my life. And I can name, I would say, hundreds of patients who have experienced the same thing. Proteins at breakfast, you're going to feel energy until 1, 2 o'clock, even if you don't have time to eat something before you know if you take your your breakfast at seven you keep your energy going so that's the number one you know i I remember myself running with my car in in france to get my yogurt my proteins because i i couldn't start my day and i had my fridge empty that that one morning so start your day with a protein protein for breakfast that's it excellent whether it's scrambled eggs or, you know, yogurt, I will talk to you about yogurt another time, but I think that yogurt, if you take the good one, can still be a good source of proteins, especially okay. the plain Greek one. So that's the first tip. The second thing, and I, I like what uh, Christina at one point mentioned about balance. I think that if we aim at uh, staying ba- in balance and harmony, these are the two terms that... I really keep for myself to be my own spectator, you know, like a little a little guardian angel above my head, saying, Are you in balance in harmony? If I see that something is not exactly at the right point, and oop, maybe I work a bit too much, i need to to take maybe a few hours to rest. I, I might cancel. Uh, a dinner with friends, you know, if I had worked a lot during the week and I felt that my body needs some rest, listen to your body and respect your body. And there's so much we can do, you know, don't push, 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 push. And then you arrive to a point it's too late. So those words, you know, balance and harmony, I think we should keep them in mind.
1: Beautiful. Dominique, when you were preparing for this show, Uh, Is there anything that we have not covered that you really wanted to make sure that a message came out from you?
2: Well, I did not really think about that, but what immediately comes to my mind is that, you know, there are so many uh, good people around, and our audience in particular, that that needs to be educated. And I'm so grateful that uh, Christina and yourself are doing such shows, because we have been in school. You know, I've been in school for 13 years. Of course, I have the knowledge. I can protect myself. I can protect my patients. But we need to diffuse the message much more broadly. And thanks to your show, that's what's going on. So if patients want some help, I can email them. You know, So don't hesitate to, 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 to tell I am here to help. And whoever would like to, to know more, um, I'll be happy to to, to do so.
1: Beautiful, Christina. Did you have any thoughts or questions? So many. <laughs> I know. I
0: know. You know. It's like I, I love being the forever student here. <laughs> but I, you know, we we will just need to get you back and dive a little deeper into uh, the the anti aging aspects and the preventative medicine. I, th- I think there's so much to learn at all points, and and we're all so different that. Uh, each individual, it's very important that they come to see someone like yourself, Dr. Reed, uh, to to find that balance.
2: Thank you, thank you. And there's so much we can do. I can tell you. <laughs> yeah, it's good. I, I have to tell you that my
1: when I was preparing for this and seeing all of the different areas that uh, Dr. Freden Reed works in, uh, I felt that this would be the opening show where we would just get a general picture and then we would want to have her back to start getting into more specific areas like thyroid disease, for example, or weight um, management and some more of the uh, issues that we're all dealing with these days. I'm very grateful to our very special guest, Dr. Dominique Fraden-Reed, for sharing her wisdom and expertise with us. I would like to thank my healers and teachers for allowing me to be on my path and taking me where I am today. Thank you, Yoga Hub and Christina and Segovia and all of those that are participating in Magical Medical Tour. Look forward to getting together again next week as we explore another quadrant of the healthcare galaxy. Thank you so much, Dr. Fraden-Reed. And until next time, I wish all of you optimal health.
2: (laughs) Same to you. Thank Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Freyden-Reed. It was really a pleasure and a great honor to have you on our show. And we look forward to the next one.
2: Thank you so much.
0: And of course, we would like to thank each and every one of you for joining us in this new platform of education and information. We're grateful for your continuous support, and we look forward to hearing your feedback on how we can serve you better. If you would like to connect with doctor Frieden Freyden-Reed and her wonderful work that she is doing, please contact her through her website, LifespanMedicine.com, LifespanMedicine.com. And if you'd like to connect with our Dr. Glenn Woolman, you can do so through his website, GlennWoolman.com, where you should learn about his metaphor square breath. It takes the stress away from life, especially with all this driving around these days. So again, we are grateful and invite you to uh, share your feedback or questions. Um, Please don't hesitate to either fill in the form on yogahub.tv at the bottom of your screen there, or to give us a call at 818-LET'S TALK. 818-LET'S TALK. So until next time, namaste.